0: You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. For as long as they've been around, deepfakes have generally been seen as illicit. The stories you hear about them tend to involve digital likenesses of people used either for purposes of misinformation, impersonation, or just plain old malice like fake pornography. But there is a legitimate use for deepfakes, or at least there is a legal and practical use for them, and we can all debate the legitimacy of it. Here, as an example, is a Russian cell phone commercial. And one of the voices that you hear starring in it belongs to Bruce Willis, allegedly. It's not actually Willis, of course, even though, if you could see this commercial, you'd know it looks exactly like him. For one, Willis is battling aphasia, and he doesn't act anymore. And also, if he did, why would he waste his time in a Russian advertisement? But a company struck a deal to map a digital version of Willis over another actor. Now this is obviously a small example, but it is very instructive. There is, and there will continue to be, a big appetite by brands to pay celebrities, actors, musicians, whatever, to appear in commercials and other gigs. And if someone like, say, Harry Styles, just for example, doesn't want to waste time actually filming a Pepsi commercial. Why shouldn't he just license a deepfake of himself to Pepsi, collect the money, and not even have to work for it? Or maybe someone like Styles could sell his likeness wholesale the way other musicians have sold the rights to their entire music catalog. And then the real Harry Styles can retire And digital Harry Styles can go on with his career. Why not? These aren't exaggerations anymore. They are questions that Hollywood and other industries will have to answer. Who owns a likeness? Can you sell them wholesale? Can you rent them out? How? What does that do to the less famous actors or musicians who would otherwise have gotten those gigs like the Russian cell phone commercial? When somebody famous doesn't even have to show up in person to take a gig, or can work for their family long after they've passed away, how does that change everything? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Will Bedingfield is a London-based staff writer at Wired. He covers internet culture, meaning things, like deepfakes Hello, Will. Hi, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm wondering if you can begin by describing this uh, awkward Russian phone commercial that I've watched on YouTube. We, we played a bit of it in our intro, um, but just tell us what it's like. Yeah. So the way I actually came to the story is the same way
1: as a lot of people, through seeing this viral clip of Bruce Willis tied to the back of a yacht. So Willis is among two hostages tied to this ship mast, um, and it's next to like a digital clock. And it's kind of ticking down the seconds before a bomb goes off. And then a phone rings because this is a 2021 advert for Megafon, which is a Russian cell network. And the other hostage has a conversation that results in Bruce Willis needing to respond Mississippi in a thick Russian accent. I actually thought he was saying a Russian word, but my colleague who speaks Russian explained to me he's just saying Mississippi. Um, But anyway, it's all pretty nonsensical, uh, like most adverts, I guess. But I think the important point is that until he speaks... Uh, most people would be kind of tricked into thinking it was Willis.
0: How did Bruce Willis, uh, I guess I should put quotation marks around that term, how did uh, Bruce Willis end up in this commercial? Well, in this case, um, you know, deep fake tech was used to map Willis's face onto
1: the uh, face of another actor. Um, the British newspaper, The Telegraph, uh, reported that Willis, who's retired because he has a sphasia, had sold his performance rights to this deepfake company uh, called Deep Cake. Uh, this is actually wrong. Um, w- Willis's, uh reps came out and said that he hadn't done that and that he had no relationship with Deep Cake. And then my colleague, Stephen Levy at WIRED, uh, spoke to the CEO of the company, and she said they never claimed to own Willis's future rights, but had an arrangement with Megafon, the Russian cell network. And this arrangement let Deep Cake use algorithms trained on 34,000 images from his earlier films to digitize his appearance, basically. And so that's how he ended up there.
0: So, okay,
1: just basically, is that legal? I mean, yes. I mean, in, in that situation, yes. If If Willis... Reps had have agreed with Megaphone and Megaphone then have agreed with Deepcake. That is, yeah, that is legal. I haven't seen any evidence to suggest
0: that this particular advertisement is illegal. How good is the deepfake in this commercial? Um, would a reasonable person before hearing him say Mississippi in a Russian accent believe it was Bruce Willis?
1: I think it's, yeah. I mean, my colleague spoke to the CEO of the company and she said, you know, well, It's also him younger, but I think unless you were like a huge Bruce Willis fan, I'm less convinced you'd notice. I'm not convinced you'd notice that it wasn't Bruce Willis. So yeah, I think it's pretty good. Uh, Particularly if you got to remember that people might be watching this quickly on like a phone. Um, So yeah, no, I would say, you know, if you were studying it, yes, you can see it's probably not him. And obviously he then speaks in a Russian accent, Uh, but
0: I would say it's pretty good. And
1: yeah, a reasonable person would believe it was him.
0: So you mentioned that uh, DeepCake created this by training, I guess, a program on photos of Willis. Can you just explain what does it take to make a deepfake like that for a video? How does the process work?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, like I said, uses a deepfake. I'm sure most people have heard of this tech by now, at least kind of vaguely. But basically, it's a pretty loose term applied to images or videos generated using AI that look real. Um, So people might have seen uh, Jordan Peele pretending to be Obama mm-hmm. or the fake video where President Zelensky announces his surrender. And we're going to be talking about Hollywood later, I know. But Luke Skywalker in the book of Boba Fett, he's uh, played by a kind of de-aged uh, appearance of Mark Hamill. Um, and so in the Willis ad, we're kind of talking about a video that uses machine learning algorithms to sort of digitally impose one person's face onto a video of another person. So yeah, defects have been around for a while, but they kind of burst into the public consciousness in the past couple of years, I'd say.
0: So for this one, Willis or his agency have agreed to it. Uh, They've presumably been compensated fairly for it. Um, So this one is legal. What is the larger issue that this kind of technology can bring to to movies, to commercials, to television, to anybody uh, who is producing content based on these programs?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, again, to mention my colleague's piece, he kind of formulates this lead question, who owns Bruce Willis? And my piece is hooked off that question. So it kind of starts there. And the point of all this is like, you know, that's not just a concern for Bruce Willis and his reps, obviously. And it doesn't just concern actors and actors' unions either. Um, For some experts, it's like this broader question that should like worry all of us. Because it kind of portends this future where I think I put it in the piece, you know, our identities could be bought, sold, and seized.
0: So, who does own? Like, this is where it gets confusing to me and probably to a lot of our listeners. I would assume that I own the rights to my likeness, the rights to my voice, the rights to my face, even if there is video or obviously with a podcast, hours and hours and hours of audio out there that somebody could presumably use to recreate my voice. Like, but I own that, right? If that appears anywhere, I can sue.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I discovered writing this piece, the law in this varies pretty widely from country to country. And, right. you know, initially I was going to make, because I'm based in the UK, I wanted to make a comparison to the US and UK, and there were differences. But I'm so I'm going to keep it to the US just because we're talking about Hollywood. And even right. within the US, it varies. State to state. So, sure. one of the experts I spoke to who's very distinguished in this area, Jennifer Rothman, has actually mapped out all the differences between states on this website called the Right of Publicity Roadmap. So, if you're listening in the US, you can check yours. So, in America, people have a right under various state laws to limit unauthorized appropriation of their identities, particularly their, their names and likenesses. So, the gold standard in this kind of commercial space is something called the Right of Publicity. And I can quote what that constitutes directly. It's a law barring unauthorized use of a person's name, likeness, voice, or other indicia of identity without permission, usually for a commercial purpose. So
0: stuff like in advertising or on products. What if it's not for a commercial purpose? What if somebody wants to take someone's likeness, um, Jordan Peele as Obama or whatever, and just have some fun with it, fart around on YouTube, and not monetize it through the platform. Just put it up there for people to mess with.
1: Yeah, yeah. So there's a, there's a lot of important what-ifs here. So if someone just simply creates a deep fake of a person, that does not necessarily run foul of this right of publicity law. So like I said in the piece, if a Willis deepfake appears you know, in an American ad for hamburgers, then Willis has got you know, a claim that becomes viable. Um, where if someone deepfakes Willis saying, you know, yippee-ki-yay in the back of a home movie on YouTube, like that's probably protected under the First Amendment. Um, The government can't prohibit speech merely because the speech is false. There has to be this additional problem. And one of the additional problems could be defamation. So the deepfake is false and it's intended for viewers to perceive it as true. And so it's purposely trying to cause harm to the target's Reputation, though you can actually get around that really easily, apparently, um, or go some way to getting around it by just labeling it as a deep fake. anyway, anyways, this is an evolving area. There's a lot of new legislation being passed here. For example, in 2019, California passed two measures um, one trying to protect people who've been featured in pornographic deep fakes, and then another measure prohibiting the dissemination of unlabeled altered videos containing political
0: candidates in sort of the weeks <laughs> up to an election. Let's talk about Hollywood now. Um just as an example of how this breaks out commercially. You mentioned actors guilds and unions earlier. What do they think of this? Obviously, uh, if the money is right, it's probably easier to pay for a deep fake of Bruce Willis to star in a Die Hard sequel than it is to find another actor to replace Willis.
1: Yeah, I mean, actors unions have been fretting over this for deep fakes for Several decades. I was really? Told. Yeah. From by the uh, basically the Screen Actors Guild or SAG-AFTRA, who I spoke to about this, said their interest began with sports video games. So even if you're just looking at you know those kind of blocky depictions of athletes in those games, it was kind of clear to them early on that the tech would develop in a way that you know you might be able to drop actors into movies, just as like you might with footballers and FIFA. So. One area, you know, where there's a lot of worry as well. And like um Sarah O'Connor at the FT wrote a great piece about this is uh audio books. So it's basically a less Siri equivalent, like replacing voice actors for lower profile books, perhaps not bestsellers yet, but putting, you know, voice actors out of work essentially. And, you know, then there's this whole other field, which is Fears around consent, um, basically consent and shady contracts. So, the wrong consent given to like the wrong company can lead to these kind of nightmarish scenarios. sag told me, you know, they've seen digital image rights hidden in contracts, um, and they use the example I don't know uh, of the Friends episode where Joey ends up in an STD ad, but but he's just gone for some modelling. And he doesn't realize that he's going to be used in an STD ad, and then you know, hilarity ensues. But in the case of you know deep fakes or these like synthetic performances, you know, this is even more serious because um one of the experts I spoke to, you know, he used the term it allows an actor to be used. So essentially, like put words in their mouths. So, yeah, you're an actor and you want to get into kids' movies and you end up in an STD advert like Joey, that might be a problem. TikTok actually had to settle a legal case recently around this issue where a Canadian voice actor sued ByteDance, that's the company that owns TikTok, because she'd done a voice performance for a Scotland-based company for what she thought were Chinese translations. And then she sort of ended up in TikTok's text-to-speech feature. So she sued and it was settled out of court. But I'm kind of making it sound like actors all hate deepfakes. And you know, this isn't the case. There's also the money, you know, a big financial incentive that maybe we'll come on to.
0: From reading your piece and your colleague's piece, the sense I get is that there's two ways that this can be handled. One is if an actor or I guess any kind of celebrity takes offers on a case-by-case basis and has representatives that look through the contract and they say, this is okay, it only gives you the rights to use it for this one megaphone commercial where you're tied to a yacht. But then there's also the case and I guess the closest thing that comes to my mind is when musicians sell their entire back catalog that you would just sell your entire uh, digital likeness to a company for presumably some sum that you thought was fair and they could then sell it to whoever wanted to use you in a commercial, a movie, whatever, right? What's the difference? Like how how are these two things different?
1: This is where the importance of, transferability of publicity rights come in and my understanding this took me a while to get so hopefully i'm being clear is that transferability isn't about you know authorizing uses of your identity for money like i can still agree to a contract to something that i then regret it's about um ownership so it's your identity kind of conceived as as alienable Um, So a transferable property right like patents or copyrights like able to be sort of bought and sold. And Jennifer Rothman, who I uh, discussed earlier, told me in the piece, you know, it affects whether the right over a person's identity is transferred and taken away from them and owned by a third party. So for SAG AFRA, uh, this is important because if you turn publicity rights into a property interest, you can license your image out to a third party who has you know, technological, financial, legal expertise who can negotiate on your behalf and get you more money, basically. Um, I think they use an example of a law passed in New York in 2020, for example, which allows post-mortem rights to be transferred. So for Rothman, um, you know, and for some of the other experts I spoke to, they worry this, like, transferability could lead to people losing control of their identity or personality, like in inverted commas there. So basically lead to firms owning your identity rather than just licensing it for a particular purpose. So Rothman argues that we should shift our thinking about rights of publicity from thinking about publicity holders to sort of identity holders. Um, she has this interesting article where she kind of points out that the original calls for this kind of transferability were made in the 1950s by studio lawyers who wanted to control the movies actors appeared in and the products they endorsed. So she also... Argues more recently, to use some more recent examples, that like student athletes kind of risk agents, managers, companies, even the NCAA, like hoovering up their identities. So, in the hope they could, you know, extract future profit if these athletes become successful. So, yeah, to sort of summarize, I know that's a long answer, but small actors, athletes, and average citizens, uh, according to Rothman, are in sort of danger of losing control or signing away their own likenesses and voices to, as she says, like ex-bouses, record producers, managers, even Facebook. So Rothman would argue that by making the right publicity transferable, you make this kind of wholesale seizure of your identity possible, and you kind of encourage this marketplace of identity. Sorry, that was a
0: long answer. No, that's good. It was fascinating. I guess my next question then is about that money, and it is about the non Hollywood superstars. You know, I'm reasonably sure that Tom Cruise and the like probably have pretty good lawyers and they have enough money that they they can very well pick and choose how deep into this they want to go. Um, but you mentioned that not all actors agree with the Screen Actors Guild because there's money involved, right? And so, so what kind of pushback do these unions get from maybe the B-list and C-list actors who see an opportunity to do more work, essentially, for a little bit more money?
1: Yeah yeah just to be clear um it's it's the union sagafra disagree with rothman i want to make that clear oh i see But essentially you know i've kind of made it sound like sagafra would hate you know deep fakes across the border and the and the actors part of their union but that's not really the case because they can see it as a sort of chance to make money so you know the screen actors guild you know view that you know Even actors who don't become famous, as you were just mentioning, their images or voices or whatever still attain commercial value. So there are kind of opportunities here. And I'll give some examples. You know, an actor's voice could be used in an automated audio book, or their digital avatar can kind of go out uh, to work for them while they're doing another job, or if they're ill, or even if they've passed away, you know, their digital double could make money for their family. So that's why, like, actually, Sagafra told me when I was talking to them they do not like the term deepfakes because it has an association with pornography. And they prefer the term digital double or AI generated. Um, And actually, Deep Cake, who created the Bruce
0: Willis ad, don't like the name deepfake either. So that was a very weird choice for the name of company. So what kinds of legal challenges? Because this is ultimately, and I know we're speaking about the US now, um, and there's different rules by states and there are different rules by by country. But what kinds of legal challenges await as this tech gets better and better? You know, I've viewed the Willis commercial. It's one of those things that once you're told it's a deepfake, you can kind of see it. But listen, it's just going to get better and better. So what are we going to be fighting over as this proceeds?
1: Uh, well, there were Obviously, the deepfakes on our screens already, you know, I mentioned earlier that Mark Hamill and, uh Right, look at Boba Fett, and then you know there are uh, yeah, de aging is huge right now in movies. Exactly. So and there are the, and in fact, you know, there are these deep fake fan vids that are better than the original standard uh, BFX. So that's actually how the person who made the Luke Skywalker deep fake got hired, I believe. Uh, he made a better one than Disney um, from an earlier episode, and then there's also examples actually of um, the Irishman. I know a lot of people were sort of mean about the de aging in that, and then people use deep fakes in YouTube to supposedly improve that uh, you know, uh, less convincing uh, VFX. effects. So I mean just keeping it to Hollywood, um, short term, we're kind of looking at expansion of all the worries I kind of discussed earlier, you know, bad exploits the contracts, replacement of voice actors, etc. Um, long term, there's like a this real fear that the more bad contracts these actors sign, um, the more their acting skills become unnecessary because the AI is at imitation, et cetera, and are tra- kind of trained on their likenesses. And then you're kind of looking at, you know, you might perform in a franchise, then you don't they don't need you anymore. Um and you know, outside of Hollywood, I mean, thinking about the fake revenge porn or you know the Zelensky vid, I think your listeners can probably come up with some pretty
0: grim scenarios themselves. Is there anything coming up in the next? year or two i know it's impossible to predict the future with the technology like this but i guess what i'm wondering is how far are we away from something that really sets the precedent around this and kind of brings all brings all rights about it into sharp focus there's gonna be one right like if it's not this bruce willis one somebody's gonna license the likeness and image of a dead celebrity and bring them back and make them star in something like what's next
1: well i think you know i mean maybe we could come back to this like kind of contention between sagafra and you know some of the experts I spoke to in the piece and i think that might be an example you know that like i said uh, the screen actors guild's position is you know focusing on this transferability aspect it's kind of a bit it's kind of dystopian scaremongering and all the bad stuff we discussed just now can pretty much happen anyway by signing a bad contract and so they kind of say there are no instances they claim of like the right to publicity being involuntary uh, transferred during anyone's lifetime, and they actually use the ex- um, example of OJ Simpson, where it was argued by the family of his victims that the court should transfer his publicity rights wholesale, and the court refused this, so didn't transfer his rights to the victims' family. And Rothman, you know, argues in her book that by making the right of publicity transferable, you know this wouldn't have been possible, then the judge would have had to agree. And in some senses, OJ would have been owned and could have they could have literally had led to them governing his public appearances. So in terms, to come back to your question, in terms of cases to look at, any case where you can see these publicity rights being sort of seized in that way, I would say look out for.
0: Well, thank you so much for this. It's a fascinating topic and it'll be incredibly interesting uh, to see where this goes over the next five years. Thanks. I hope I was clear. I know it's a complicated one. Will Beddingfield writes for Wired in London. That was the big story. This is the last you will hear from me personally for one week, not because I'm taking a well-deserved vacation, though I might sneak off for a day or two, but because I'm so excited to announce that next week, we are partnering with our friends at the Narwhal. The Narwhal is an independent publication, a team of investigative journalists that do deep dives on climate stories, stories about the natural world in Canada and stuff you won't find anywhere else. We've done this with them before because we think they are the best at covering climate and climate policy in Canada. That is a hard subject to cover, but it really needs eyes on it. So next week, you may remember Fatma Sayed. She also works at the Narwhal. She will be sitting in this chair as guest host, and she will have some of her amazing colleagues telling you stories about Canada and climate that you won't hear anywhere else, at least not like this. I really hope you'll tune in. I'm going to be listening every single day. So take it away, Fatma. You can, of course, find this podcast at thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can find us on Twitter at the Big Story FPN. You can email us, hello, at TheBigStoryPodcast.ca. And you can call us. Leave us a message, 416-935-5935. You'll see this podcast anywhere you go to get them. And when you do, make sure you subscribe or follow or rate or review or whatever. We appreciate all your support. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. Enjoy next week. I will be back the following Monday.